Well, if you have a Bible this evening, please turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 28. And I'd like to uh, turn your attention to what is a, perhaps a slightly unusual, but a, a very interesting verse, and that's found in verse 20 there. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 20, we read, For the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in it. And my title this evening is Short Beds and Narrow Coverings. Short Beds and Narrow Coverings. The, this morning we were considering, weren't we, the last moments of Elijah's life uh, when he was translated into heaven. And when it comes to action, when it comes to uh, remarkable miracles, there was no prophet really quite like Elijah. But when it comes to words and literature, I think we could say there was no prophet quite like Isaiah. What he lacked in action, what he lacked in amazing and miraculous signs and wonders, he more than made up for in his powerful descriptions and uh, very sort of energetic writings. You just think, for example, of Isaiah chapter 40 and the way the prophet there under the inspiration of the Spirit describes the immensity and the sovereignty of God. The language just lifts you up and up and up, doesn't it? Or you can think of Isaiah 53 and the portrait he paints there of Golgotha, a moving record of the death and the sorrow of Christ at Calvary. And there, of course, the language takes you down and down and down, as it were, into the inconceivable sufferings of the Saviour. Isaiah had an amazing ability with the pen to describe in such graphic and powerful and yet often very simple ways the truth that God had given to him. And this chapter that we read this evening, Isaiah chapter 28, it provides us with another example of Isaiah's literary skills. He brings out picture after picture to present truth after truth to the people that he was writing to. Now in this chapter that we read, Isaiah was warning the people of Israel, described there as Ephraim in, in verse 1, that judgment was coming. It was going to be only a matter of, say, five or six years from this time when Isaiah was writing that the Lord would punish them for their sin by sending uh, the Assyrians into the land. And here in this chapter, the, the Lord is warning the people and they may mock the message. We see that in verse 13. They were mocking the message. That's how uh, that verse should be read in, in a sense. It, the people were, were laughing, as it were, precept upon precept, line upon line. They were laughing at the Lord, ignoring him. And while they may ignore the strivings of the prophet, judgment was still coming. And the problem was that the people were trusting in lies. What they were holding on to, what they thought was going to save them, were refuges of lies. You see that in verse 15. What they placed their confidence in was going to prove to be utterly hopeless. And to drive this point home, Isaiah draws this picture for us in verse 20 of a bed. A bed, of course, is where we sleep. It's the place we lie down for rest, isn't it? I'm sure we, we all like that feeling at the end of a day, perhaps a difficult day, a hard day, a day of work. We like to get into our bed and pull the sheets over us and get some sleep. Perhaps some of you are even looking forward to that this evening. 
But imagine for a, for a moment that you've ordered a new bed. Perhaps you've been online and you've been on this website and you've seen this bed and you've ordered it, but the thing that you forgot to do was check the dimensions. And so when the bed's delivered, instead of it being this luxury king-size bed that you, you just couldn't wait to jump into, what's been delivered is a tiny little child's bed. And when you try to lie down on it, you find that your feet stick out the end of it. You try lying diagonally, but you're still hanging over the edge. Instead of getting that wonderful night of rest and sleep that you hoped for, you have a night of torture and pain as you toss and turn all night. Now, this is an illustration that's a little bit close to my heart, because when you're of a certain height, you often find that beds are not quite what you would hope them to be. And you often find that you're too short and you hang off the ends. And you find here, this is what Isaiah is drawing an illustration for us. This is a bed that's too short, but he takes the illustration further at the end because he talks about coverings, coverings that are narrower than than a man can wrap himself in. And he's talking about the sheets or the duvet on the beds. It's one thing, isn't it, to get into a bed that's too small, but then to have sheets that don't cover you, that makes it even worse, doesn't it? Whichever way you pull the duvet, whichever way you pull the, the sheet, some part of you is exposed and, you, and, and it leaves you cold and shivering the night away. And so Isaiah uses this very simple but very striking illustration to show to us that sinners can never save themselves. He's showing to the people of Israel that what they were trusting in, it was futile, it was hopeless that it was like a bed that was too short. It was like having sheets that were too narrow. Wherever a person seeks rest, you see, for their souls in this world, Isaiah is showing to us here that they'll never find rest. They'll find that the bed is too short. Whatever a person seeks to pull over themselves to cover their sin, it will always prove to be too narrow. Isaiah is, is showing to us here that A man can seek spiritual rest. But if it's in this world, if it's in the things of this world, it will always be like a short bed. And he'll be vainly wrapping himself in narrow coverings. So this evening I want to look at this verse with you and think about this text under three headings. And the first heading, our first point this evening, is to look at these inadequate beds. The bed we're told here, as we said, is too short. It isn't long enough for the the man so therefore it's inadequate it's insufficient what the man needs for comfort and rest is something longer something that would fit his frame and friends when we look out many people are seeking rest and comfort in beds that are inadequate let me give you an example of two such beds this evening that are inadequate that are insufficient some people are seeking rest and happiness in wealth and in riches. They think that an accumulation of wealth and money and affluence will bring them the the desired rest that they're looking for. They buy land and property. They invest in their business. They accumulate. They speculate. They have their bonds. They have their shares. But the more and more riches that they have, the shorter and shorter the bed becomes. They're convinced that just a little bit more will do it. Just a little bit more wealth, just another house, just another property, just another purchase, just another piece of land. But the bed gets shorter and shorter. 
and still they find no rest for their souls. And of course, history is replete, isn't it, with examples of men who never found rest in riches. You think, for example, of Alexander the Great, legend has it, doesn't it, that he wept because there were no more worlds for him to conquer. And we read this evening of that parable of the rich farmer in Luke 12. He discovered, didn't he, he discovered that the bed was too short. He had this bumper harvest. He, he, if you imagine he was a cartoon character, the, the pound signs would have been flashing in his eyes as he saw this wonderful crop. And he thinks to himself, what am I going to do with this, this huge crop? So he makes his business plans. He decides he's going to pull down his barns. He's going to build greater ones. He's going to store his fruits in there. And the man says, doesn't he, in that parable, I'm going to say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But he found out that very night that the bed was too short. Solomon, of course, in his quest in Ecclesiastes, also found this to be true, didn't he? He gathered silver and gold, we're told, and peculiar treasure of kings. It tells us that he increased more than all that were before him in Jerusalem. Whatever his eyes desired, he said, he didn't hold it back, he didn't keep it back. He had everything, silver, gold, wealth, you name it, he had it all. But when he surveyed the whole scene, when he looked at it all in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 11, he says, behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirits. And there was no profit under the sun. Solomon came to realize the bed was too short. And that's why in the book of Proverbs we have so many references, don't we, to the futility of pursuing riches. Think of this one in Proverbs 11, verse 28. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Riches, we're told in, in Proverbs 23, have a habit of growing wings like a, and flying away like an eagle. And of course we can be assured of this, that while riches may not leave us in this life, there will always come a day when the man leaves his riches. On the day of our death, our riches will pale into utter insignificance. They'll be worthless to us. We cannot pay a ransom, as it were, to death. You know, death can't be bought, can it? Elihu tells us this in the book of Job, in Job 36. He, he, he says to Job, look, on the day of your death, you can't buy death off. You can't say to death, hold back, I've got some money, can you just wait a few days? No, the bed of riches always proves to be too short. The rich man in Luke 16 found it, didn't he? Despite all the wealth he had in this life, when he was cast into hell, he couldn't even purchase one drop of water to cool his tormented tongue. John, in Revelation 6, he tells us that on that great day of judgment, the rich men of the earth will vainly seek shelter from the wrath of the Lamb. And it's on that day, you see, on that day that their hopes and their riches were going to perish together. That's why Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Because the bed of riches is too short. But friends, what about you tonight? You may be, you may be no different. You may think that by accumulating this world's goods will bring you the desired rest and, and joy that you crave. But, but let me assure you, it never does. And friends, we often have a problem, and the problem is this, that we look at others 
and we see their wealth and we see their disappointments in this life. We see their dissatisfaction with riches and we see that the bed is too short for them. But we foolishly think that when we get to the bed, it will be just right for us. In our blindness, we we measure the bed and say, yes, well, it doesn't fit them, but I'm sure it's going to fit me. And so off we go pursuing riches. But friend, riches are a bed that are too short for the soul. But there's a second inadequate bed that we could think about this evening, and that's the bed of pleasure. The bed of pleasure. I'm sure uh, many of you know this, that in the United States Declaration of Independence, there's a, a very famous line which is often quoted. Let me just quote it to you now. It states that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm sure you've heard that uh, quote before, that we have these rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Man, according to that statement, has this right to pursue his, his happiness. But the problem is that the pursuit of happiness has morphed into the pursuit of pleasure. There's a huge difference. Instead of seeking that which is good and right for the soul, instead of seeking Christ who alone can bring true spiritual happiness, man instead pursues pleasure in the hope that it's going to bring him happiness. And of course this pursuit takes many forms, doesn't it? Pursuing pleasures in holiday or pleasure in relationships, pleasure in family, pleasure in hobbies, pleasure in drinking and parties, pleasure in experiences. Pleasure in work. We could just go on and on and on. And I think particularly today, experiences is something that people pursue endlessly. If only I could go and see the northern lights, if only I could go on safari, if only I could experience this particular thing, then then that's going to give me the rest and the joy that I desire. But again, you'll find that the bed of pleasure is too short. You see, you can paint the bed in whichever colours you like, whatever currently takes people's fancy, whatever's in vogue today, but you'll always find that the bed of pleasure is too short for a man. That's why Solomon writes in Proverbs 21, verse 17, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. Remember the Samaritan woman that Christ met. Remember he met her at the well. And it's clear, isn't it, that she thought relationships would bring the desired rest, but she found the bed was too small. Again, we could point to the case of Solomon, couldn't we, in Ecclesiastes. He went after mirth and pleasure, he tells us in Ecclesiastes 2. He sought happiness in wine and laughter, but he found that wine was a mocker. He pursued the arts, didn't he? He threw himself into all sorts of great projects, seeking pleasure again, but he found the bed was too short. Friends, let me again warn you tonight, the pursuit of pleasure will only leave you feeling empty. It will only leave you craving for more. It will never give you the rest that you long for and desire because it's it's an inadequate bed. Here in Isaiah, we're told about these inadequate beds for the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it. But then we can think about a second point this evening, and that's insufficient covers. Insufficient covers. 
Isaiah goes on to say, and the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in it. And the prophet here is speaking of coverings that are, that are insufficient for a person. The bed sheets are too narrow, as we said at the beginning, so that, so that you can't wrap yourself in them. You, you're exposed. The duvet it doesn't fit, and so it's uncomfortable, and it leaves you cold. And again, we have to say this is what we see all around us. Sinners trying to wrap themselves with covers that are insufficient. And again, I want to draw your attention to two types of covering this evening that people often resort to, and perhaps someone here is even resorting to tonight. And the first of these coverings is morality. Morality. Perhaps this is the duvet that you're using tonight. You believe in good principles. You like to uphold good morals. You're, you champion the rights of the downcast in society. There's all sorts of morals that are particularly prevalent today, aren't there? Equal rights for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich, poor, male, female, straight, gay. Everyone should have a voice. Everyone should be able to express their opinion. And perhaps you, you, you hold to these morals. Or perhaps you like to stand up for justice. Justice for the oppressed in society. Justice in bringing equal pay. Or perhaps your morals stretch to the environmental sphere. You campaign against single-use plastics and promote rewilding and sign petitions against fox hunting. You're against cruelty on farms to animals and so on. And you, you champion these morals. Perhaps your moral standard includes health. You believe in getting exercise, having a healthy diet. You're against smoking and drinking to excess taking hard drugs, whatever it might be, and you could go on. You've set up a moral standard, a code, and you, you generally stick to it, and you, and you think that you're an upstanding citizen in, in the community. You help people, you give to charity, you volunteer, you're involved in the children's school fate, and so on. But what you're making for yourself is a sheet of self-righteousness. And friends, self-righteousness is a covering that's too narrow. You forget that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Your self-proclaimed righteousness and the standard that you've set is woefully short of the standard of Almighty God. When you try and pull your morality and your self-righteousness over you to cover you, you'll find it doesn't fit, it's too narrow. The morality that you need needs to be a perfect morality. The righteousness that you need must be a perfect righteousness. And the problem is that just one sin spoils it all. So no matter how great your morality may appear, no matter how noble, no matter how good you seem, it all falls so far short of what is needed. Friends, let me warn you tonight that your morality is a covering that cannot cover. And it leaves you exposed to the wrath of God's. But there's a second covering that some people like to use and resort to, and that's the covering of religion. Some people think that pursuing you know, a disciplined life following a religious practice is the, is the answer. That might be a life of devotion and prayers to Allah, or the meditation and cultivation of the mind in Buddhism. Some perhaps seek to discover the divinity within Sikhism. For others, it's Hinduism or whatever ism that you, you perhaps follow. Or perhaps even Christianity, coming to church, reading the Bible, baptism, lighting a candle. 
But again, you see, every religion is insufficient. It's a refuge of lies, as Isaiah tells us here. The Pharisee that went up to the temple to pray, he had a covering of religion. He could point to the fact, couldn't he, that he was not like everyone else. He wasn't unjust. He wasn't an adulterer. He fasted. He could point to his life of devoted prayer and his tithes. But his religion was a, was a covering that was far too narrow. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said, that he left that temple and he was still in his sin, he was still condemned. It was the other man who went down to his home justified. No, for religion to be of any benefit, it, it must deal seriously with our state of sin. It must have an answer for our guilt, the stain of our sin. There must be a salvation that deals with the fact that we're under condemnation. Friends, if the religion we pursue does not provide us with a free and a perfect righteousness, then it fails. What we so desperately need is a, is a righteousness that's honourable and acceptable with God. Nothing less can cover us. Nothing, nothing less will do. Now, religion, of course, may give someone a sense of purpose in life. It may temporarily make them be a better person. But friends, it's like putting a, a sticky plaster upon the arm of someone who's got cancer. It, it's insufficient. And friends, this evening, if you are merely religious, if you're merely here because you think that a, having attendance at a place of worship counts for something, then and I want to wake you up this evening and tell you that the, the danger of your position. In this passage that Isaiah... We read here from Isaiah 28, he speaks of judgment. You look at verse 17, he says, Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. He's talking here about, as it were, measuring. This is a precise judgment. God will get out his plummet. He'll get out his yardstick, as it were, and he's going to measure it precisely. It's been in the news, hasn't it, recently, about a court case, hasn't it, where four people were on trial, and they were found not guilty by the entire jury. And when the verdict was given, people have complained that this is a great miscarriage of justice. But when God gets out his plummet and his measuring line for judgment, no one will be able to say it's unjust. No one will, will be able to quibble and complain at what God says. Friends, let me warn you tonight that on, the, on that day when God, as it were, gets out his line to measure that day of judgment, on that day your morality or your religion will not cut it. Because God is a, a just judge. Well, this evening we've thought about this inadequate beds and we thought about insufficient covers. But we can't leave it there because in this text we also have an answer. And this is our third point this evening. We notice an immovable solution. An immovable solution. Isaiah warns the people that what they were trusting in, yes, it was never going to save them. Their refuge, their place of safety were refuges of lies. They were easily going to be swept away like a, a sandcastle built by the sea. Their solutions were only short beds. Their hope was only narrow coverings. But in this passage, the Lord provides them with an immovable and secure and sure solution to their problem. Look at me at verse 16. In verse 16, he speaks of a foundation stone. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, 
a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This stone is a, is a tried stone. It's, a, it's been tested. It doesn't matter what attempts have been made to shake it or dislodge it. It stood firm. It stood unmoved. He says it's a precious cornerstone. This was the, the cornerstone that, that's the leading stone from which the whole building was then built. It's a stone that forms the beginning of a sure and a, and a permanent, a steady, a, a stable foundation. And Isaiah here is, is speaking of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Peter tells us this in his, his first epistle in chapter 2, that this sure stone, this tried stone is Jesus Christ. And the point that's being made here is that the sinner may run to this refuge and they may find safety and they may find eternal security. He says, look, you'll find no rest in pleasures and riches. You, you can never cover your soul with morality or religion, but you can find safety in Christ because Christ is all you need. Christ is the great need of, of every sinner. His obedience, his death, his righteousness. That's what a sinner needs. Notice what it says at the end of verse 16 there. He's described this stone. He says, he that believeth shall not make haste. He who believes, you see, and trusts in Jesus Christ will never need to fear the approach of judgments. He doesn't have to run away because he's got a place where he can hide and he can find safety. You never need to run from cover because you have this, this, this sure foundation. When God comes and in judgment and in justice, a holy God who brings out his line and measures, as it were, and he brings out this, this awesome judgment, there is a place where sinners can flee to. Remember the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 11. Remember... The invitation of Christ, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's no rest in the things of this world. The beds are too short, but there's rest in Christ. He goes on, doesn't he? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Friends, there's a bed that's big enough for a man. There's a bed that's big enough for a sinner. It's Christ. And not only does Christ provide rest, but he gives us his righteousness, doesn't he? Christ lived that pure, that perfect, that spotless life, a life of perfect obedience to the will of God. And he then died in our place. And when we believe in him, he clothes us with the garments of salvation, as Isaiah tells us later on, and he covers us with the robe of his righteousness. His righteousness is graciously given to us. And friends, that is the covering that's wide enough for us. That's the covering that's big enough. That's the one that we can wrap ourselves in. Friends, do you see it tonight? Christ is the answer. We need to believe in him. We need to rest in him, we sung those words a few moments ago, didn't we? Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. Friends, tonight are you resting in Christ? Let me implore you, let go of your reliance in inadequate beds and insufficient coverings and come to Christ. 
Don't be like the people of Isaiah's day. The Lord says to them in verse 12, he says this, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. He says, look, Isaiah, I've given you the message of rest. It's the place where you can have refreshing, and this is the refreshing. But you notice what it says there at the end of verse 12, yet they would not hear. Friends, don't be like the people of Isaiah's day. They heard the gracious words of the gospel of Isaiah saying, come, come and believe in Christ, this this foundation that's secure. But they would not hear. In verse 22, it says, now therefore be ye not mockers. Friends, don't mock this, this wonderful, glorious hope that's been provided for you. Oh, I pray tonight that each one of us would have ears to hear and at hearts that will respond, and that each one of us would make sure that we're resting, resting only in the Lord Jesus Christ.